This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. It's a new year, which means it's the start of a new legislative season in Sacramento. Governor Gavin Newsom kicked things off earlier this week by releasing his proposed budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Under his plan, funding for schools and community colleges would rise to more than $100 billion for the first time ever. In just a bit, we'll hear from Ted Lempert of Children Now, who's working to ensure the state's most vulnerable students get the state funding they deserve. But first, we hear from CCSA's Vice President of Government Affairs, Colin Miller, who offers more details about the governor's proposed spending plan and what it all means for charter public schools. He says the first thing to remember is Newsom's proposal sets the framework for budget negotiations over the next several months. We're just right at the very beginning. So, um, you know, if this were a a baseball game, I guess we would be in the first inning, Um, you know, maybe the overture to a Broadway musical. (laughs) June is the deadline for the final budget. But as it stands right now, Collins says the governor's proposal is good news for public education. This year's budget has a lot of new money for schools. That's going to be very positive to make sure that schools have what they need to protect and um, educate students as they come out of the pandemic. The needs are significant and great. One thing CCSA will be watching closely, however, is how the state plans to help charters that will lose state funding due to enrollment declines brought on by the pandemic. Now, as you may know, schools are funded based on their average daily attendance, or ADA. Because enrollment is in a free fall in most districts due to COVID, the state is allowing districts to receive funding based on the ADA of the previous academic year. But that's not the case for charter public schools. The state is funding charter schools based on their average daily attendance rate of the current year, which means they're dealing with a budget crisis right now. Collins says the governor's proposal doesn't offer charters relief just yet, but things could change. Charter schools are not specifically included in that proposal at this point. However, the governor did state that he is interested in continuing conversations with charter schools and stakeholders through the spring to come up with a solution for charter schools. So we find that very encouraging news um, to at least have the conversation continuing. Uh, We do believe that charter schools should be funded and protected in the same way as school districts, particularly during this this really critical uh, pandemic year. The Charter Nation podcast will keep you posted on the latest budget developments. Thanks to Colin Miller, CCSA's vice president of government affairs, for that update. Now, on to our Change Makers segment. Changemakers is our regular segment featuring Mirna Castrojon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, interviewing the movers and shakers in public education from across the ideological spectrum. This week, her guest is Ted Lempert, executive director of Children Now, a research and advocacy organization in Oakland. Children Now just released its annual report card, which gave the state high marks for its preschool and transitional kindergarten initiatives, but low marks when it comes to supporting vulnerable students. 
Lempert is a former California State Assemblyman in the Bay Area. He introduced a pivotal piece of legislation during the 90s, which lifted the cap on the number of charter schools allowed in California. In this Changemakers interview, Lempert talks about education funding today under the state's local control funding formula and what his organization is doing to ensure all students get a high-quality, equitable education. Here's Myrna Casterhone with this Changemakers interview. Ted, Children Now is one of a few organizations in California that really does focus on the full range of key children's issues, really giving us that 30,000 foot view of like, how does it all fit in? Looking back on, on your time leading the organization, what would you say has been your proudest moment uh, or your best victory in improving the lives of kids? I would highlight just this last year, we were successful in getting um, a lot of dollars focused on student mental health. And so schools can really connect more with county mental health departments. And we get folks on campuses that can really provide that mental health support. So that was just a very recent. And then going back a ways, uh, children now play the lead advocacy role, working with a whole lot of other groups, including the Charter School Association, on getting LCFF, the local control funding formula, passed. And you know that, that law on paper is the strongest education equity law in the nation. I say on paper because we haven't implemented as well as we like, but you know, we viewed that as a, as a real victory because it was a huge policy shift. Um, and, and, you know, the continuing challenge since then has been proper implementation. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit more about education funding and dig a little deeper. LCFF, great start. Now we're in a situation where because of the pandemic, there's streams of money coming in from the federal government as well as uh, state coffers. Uh, what are you seeing? What are the good news and the bad news and the work left unfinished? Right before No Child Left Behind, but sort of at the beginning of California is really moving forward on accountability movement. And my view then was this is not a punitive. This is about making sure that every kid in our state, especially kids who face you know major barriers because of systemic racism and p- poverty and other impacts that we we're ensuring that the system <laughs> is working for them, not in a punitive, but in a positive. And I think, you know, charters know that better than anyone because the total charter movement is set up based on we have a charter and we're going to show our results. So I, I do think at a big picture when, you know, Children Now talks about accountability, this is not about punishing our great educators and our great schools. This is about, though, we're talking about a major education system, a huge education system, and it's imperative that we ensure that every kid is getting the support and that, you know, especially when we look at larger districts, that larger districts aren't saying, well, hey, 80% of our kids are doing well, 75%, we're done. There's measures and ways to ensure that we can see how every kid's getting support. More specifically to your question, yes. I mean, thrilled with the federal dollars, and the state dollars coming in. And to your point, also thrilled that there was a real equity focus on on the Fed and state dollars. So it's not that the same amount is going to um, each district and each school. Um, and also to your point, you know, the report we did and, and what we're concerned about is, you know, let's make sure these dollars are well spent, first and foremost, for the benefit of kids. And also so the public has confidence, you know, in, in our schools um, and in our ed- education system. A couple of things we, w- we do want to uh, and we worked on ensuring that 
these dollars don't have to be spent all at once. You, you know, there is some flexibility over the next uh, several years, um, making sure that the, the equity formulas are followed and really making sure that it is English learners, kids in poverty, foster youth are getting the priorities. And the other piece that um, I think especially uh, Charter Movement can appreciate is we also want to make sure that these dollars can be used for CBOs, for nonprofits, groups in the community that can provide mental health supports or counseling, that folks who are ready to go and, and can be on campus can a- access some of these dollars. Because, you know, sometimes we spend a long time figuring out how to spend government dollars or and doing the hiring where kids need the support immediately. Absolutely. Well, and it, this brings me back to like how I define accountability, right? It's really about focus and follow through and transparency, ultimately. Um, so what, what, are, what are you seeing that is concerning to you as you're we're reviewing all these plans in your report? Yeah, well, see, you said the magic word transparency, <laughs> which, uh, which is also, I think, really critical and something that children now and a number of, of organizations are, are working on and have been the last couple of years and hope we can make further progress this coming year. And that is we need to ensure that any parent can go online or ask questions in a meeting and really see where the dollars are going, how much their school is, is, is getting. And, you know, especially important for charters, although it's often much more clear there. I mean, for, you know, for districts, oftentimes it's very un- hard to ascertain, you know, are the dollars really getting to the kids in need? And are, are, is each school, including charters, getting their fair share? So the transparency key is important. And as we've worked with local groups around the state, one thing they've urged us is, we really need apples to apples at the state level and a- apples to apples transparent system. So we're concerned. We actually, the legislature, um, f- former legislator, now Secretary of State Shirley Weber was a real champion, but we have a lot of uh, ex- champions in the legislature now in, in really working with them and the governor to ensure that transparency is, is there. The other um, piece is, is, you know, really making sure that that pressure remains, that these dollars coming in that districts, you know, have to look at this, you know, from the long term and really focus on the workforce issues of how are we making sure uh, that these dollars are going to um, ensure that there's enough teachers and enough support staff and we're ensuring that workforce support going forward. Absolutely. Um, thank you for, for pointing that out, that, that structural difference, right, between how districts budget and how charters budget. Few people really realize, actually, that charters have to report their revenues and expenses and all their investments in children down to the site level and publicly yep. post those. And I'm not sure why that's such a misunderstanding, but the reality of it is, is like we are a great example of how you can get closer to that sense of, of building public trust, right? The funds are going where they're supposed to, that you're getting the return on investment, if you will, or like that you're you're focused in the ways that you're supposed to and producing good outcomes, both financial and operational. And of course, it, it, let's not forget, right, the other part of accountability, which is really what we're all here for, right, and ensuring that what we do in education results in better outcomes for life, for career, for college, uh, for all of our students. Ted, tell me what you are finding the most exciting uh, or promising practices in, in these plans, or give me some examples of what made you smile when you saw some of these plans. I've seen some real bright spots where because of the pandemic, we've seen 
cooperation and desalinization we had never seen before. I, I used to be at meetings where I'd introduce the health folks to the education folks. And I was like, oh, this is not how it should be. And, you know, I saw during COVID where there was, you know, much better connection with health departments, with nonprofits, with social services um, and the schools. And, and, you know, so many examples of that around the state. I just hope that continues. I, I think some of that was drawn out of the emergency and the crisis, but that's the way it should always be. You know, every kid is complex. Every kid needs a lot of support. The teacher can't do it alone, of course, we know that. And that, but the school is also the focal point and the center for, for kids and families. So, you know, why don't we have more support services at the schools? And I know a number of charters do this or are trying to do it more, and, and it relies on cooperation um, and support from other government agencies and, and nonprofits. So I've seen lots of bright examples of that um, uh, over the course of the pandemic. And, and I hope that's something we just see continuing, that kind of cooperation, you know, more supports for kids at school. Yeah, California uh, leads on some things, not on others. And, you know, we rank near the very bottom of the country in terms of adults on campus and, and kids need that adult support. Uh, we're really in crisis right now. We've always known that students have better outcomes, feel more seen, feel more accepted when they have teachers, counselors, administrators who are from the community, who look like them, who understand them deeply. And with the pandemic and the tremendous, like, you know, super heroic, right, demands that uh, the pandemic response has required of our teachers and our administrators and district leaders, there's a big shift occurring right now. A lot of early retirements, lots of burnout. We need uh, our educators to stay healthy and well, and yet we do have an opportunity to really rebuild our educator workforce as well. What are you thinking these days about what we could do together? One of our big victories this year was was more support for student mental health, but we need to focus on educator mental health as well and the supports of our teachers and our school staff and, and, and administrators. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about valuing our e educators, but we need to make sure that's there in practice. And, you know, that certainly means in terms of, of compensation, but and also just recognizing, you know, how important that role is. I, I do feel that during the pandemic, there's hopefully been some increased understanding of what it means to, to educate a child. So many parents have had to do that from, from home. So, I, it, it's really, really important that the supports um, are, are there. You know, part of it is making sure that, you know, one teacher doesn't have to do it all alone and that gets back to more support on campus. I, I want to also highlight your point about making sure that the folks in the classroom look like the kids who are there. And so as we look into expanding the workforce and bringing in new teachers, it's just absolutely critical that uh, efforts are underway to make sure we're attracting uh, students of color, getting them interested in teaching early on and making this a profession that you can actually make a, a, a lifelong profession or, or certainly part of your career, um, be well compensated, be well supported. And then for our current uh, a, a teaching staff, you know, making sure uh, that support is there, not just in words, um, but in other people coming together and other support services uh, coming there. And, you know, as I always highlight, uh, we, we look at compensation in terms of other public employees. I, I mean, teachers are doing the most important work out there. Um, and I, we don't need to be comparing it to Google or Facebook or private sector employment, let's just compare it to other public sector employment and make sure that our educators are at the top of the line. 
Uh, great partner, great ideas. And as always, uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing for all kids. Well, thank you for your outstanding leadership and uh, look forward to continuing working closely with you. Thank you. I want to thank my guest, Ted Lempert, for being a guest on Changemakers. Ted is president of Children Now, a nonpartisan whole child research policy development and advocacy organization dedicated to promoting children's education and health across California. I'm Mirna Castrejon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, and you've been listening to Changemakers on the Charter Nation podcast. You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tintakalis. Now let's go to coronavirus coverage in California. Thousand students and staff not returning to their campuses today after testing. Oakland, 12 schools were forced to close Friday due to staffing shortages. Shutting down the schools is really a last resort. But the Omicron variant is threatening to shut down in-person instruction across the state. Charter public schools are doing whatever it takes to keep their doors open, but they're also taking steps to help parents become digitally savvy so they can stay connected to teachers during the pandemic or manage distance learning if campuses shut down. In this next segment, we bring you an audio postcard from Para Los Niños, which has three charter schools in and around downtown Los Angeles. Now, since the pandemic hit, These schools have been offering digital literacy classes to their Spanish-speaking parents through a partnership with Unidos U.S. Parents learn everything from sending an email to downloading Zoom so they can join meetings. Eddie Ortiz is the Parent and Family Engagement Coordinator at Para Los Niños Charter Schools. He manages the digital literacy classes, and here he is in his own words. I've been involved with Para Los Niños since the early start uh, in the late 80s. I was uh, a student at 9th Street Elementary where Para Los Niños first started running after school programs. It's the community that I live in. It's the the community that I work with. uh, And our three charter schools are located near downtown LA area where most of our, our families work. A lot of our families work in the garment industry where they get paid by the piece, not necessarily by the hour. So it behooves a lot of our parents to work longer hours uh, to be able to, you know, make a little bit of extra money. Para Los Niños has been running this uh, digital literacy program since last year, Padres Comprometidos at Tech, an introduction to uh, distance learning and digital platforms that are used within the school. It can be something as simple as setting up an email and, you know, a Facebook account or an Instagram account, platforms like Class Dojo, Google Docs, and some other forms of communicating with teachers and being able to access uh, student work. We do have a significant population that's illiterate. So working with those families uh, a lot of times requires us to do kind of like a a lot of handholding and step-by-step. One of our librarians here at the elementary created a PowerPoint where it was a series of pictures how to turn on the computer, you know, what what does the the icon look like on a phone. So again, just finding different ways that support parents Um, learning how to access these tools and navigating different digital platforms. 
you know, for the most part, our families, the, the population that we serve, uh, they've been working nonstop through the pandemic. They haven't had the luxury of working from home. So being able to accommodate their schedule is a big plus. And we continue to do that just to be able to, to make sure that our parents are engaged. When the pandemic first started and through different grants, we've been able to purchase laptops and Chromebooks and hotspot devices that go directly to the families that they're able to, to use uh, during this time. I think this helps promote uh, community transformation. It's helping our parents learn to be resourceful, teaching them to be resilient, uh, especially during times like this. That was Eddie Ortiz, the Parent and Family Engagement Coordinator at Para Los Niños Charter Schools in Los Angeles. PLN works to break the cycle of poverty through education, youth workforce services, and family and community services. We'd like to thank them for letting us share their story. And that's it for this episode of the Charter Nation podcast. Check back with us in a couple weeks when our next podcast drops. Our special guest on Changemakers will be Dr. Lauren McGowan Robinson with the Diversity and Leadership Institute. She's working to get more teachers of color into classrooms across California. I'm Anna Tintakalis, host of the Charter Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.